Chapter forty five of Deerbrook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Deerbrook by Harriet Martineau. Read by Gary Day. Chapter forty five. Rest of the Placable. Margaret was not at Mrs. Howell's at the moment that her brother believed and said she was. She had been there just in time to witness the poor woman's departure, and she was soon home again, and relating the circumstances to Hester by the fireside. Even the news that Edward was now in the same house with Philip could not efface from her mind what she had seen, nor could Hester help listening, though full of anxiety about her husband. Miss Miskin was prevailed upon to leave the room at the last, I suppose? Scarcely. Poor Nanny was supporting her mistress's head when I went in, and she said with tears that there was no depending on any one but us. They both looked glad enough to see me, but then nothing would satisfy Mrs. Howell but that I should warm myself and be seated to the last, and she offered you some cherry bounce, I suppose. Yes, just as usual. Then she told me that it would be as well to mention now, in case she should grow worse and be in any danger, that she should be gratified if you and I would select each a rug or screen pattern from her stock, and worsted to work with it, and she gave a broad hint that there was one with a mausoleum and two weeping willows, which she hoped one of us would choose, and that perhaps her name might fill up the space on the tomb. Poor Nanny began to cry, and this affected Mrs. Howell, and she begged earnestly to see Miss Miskin. And then she came, I suppose. Not she. She would not come till her friend sent a message, threatening to haunt her if she did not. Did you carry the message? No, but Nanny did, and I thought with hearty good will. Miss Miskin came trembling, but too much frightened to cry. She would not approach nearer than the doorway, and there fell on her knees, and so remained the whole time she was receiving directions about the shop and the stock. In case, as the poor soul said again, of my getting worse, so as to be in any danger. And yet Dr. Levitt thought he had told her plainly enough what he thought of her state this morning. And was she aware at last, or did she go off unconsciously? I think she was aware, I think so from her last words, oh my poor dear Howell. I sat behind the curtain while she was speaking to Miss Miskin, sometimes so faintly that Nanny had to repeat her words to make them heard as far as the door. That selfish wretch, Miss Miskin! It was very moving, I assure you, to hear not one word of reproach, or even notice of Miss Miskin's desertion in this illness. What was said was commonplace enough, but every word was kind. I have it all. I took it down with my pencil behind the curtain, for I was sure Miss Miskin would never remember it. Mrs. Howell went on till she came to directions about the bullfinch, that her poor dear Howell used to laugh to see perched upon her nightcap of a morning, and then she grew unintelligible. I thought she was only fainting, but while we were trying to revive her, Nanny said that she was going, and Miss Miskin drew back into the passage, shut the door, and made her escape. Her friend looked that way once more, and said that we had all been very good to her. She mentioned her husband, as I told you, and then died very quietly. Miss Miskin knows, of course. I told her, 
and did not pretend to feel much sympathy in her lamentations. I told her she had lost a friend who would have watched over her, I believed, till her last breath, if she had been the one attacked by the fever. What did she say? She exclaimed a good deal about how good we all were, and wondered what Deerbrook would have done without us, and said she was sure I was too kind to think of leaving her in the house with the corpse, with only Nanny. When I declined passing the night there, she comforted herself with thinking aloud that her friend would not haunt her, certainly would not haunt her, as she had gone to her room at last. Her final question was how soon I thought it likely that she should feel the fever coming on, in case of her having caught it after all by going into the room. What an end to a sentimental friendship of so many years! I rather expect to hear in the morning that she has taken refuge in some neighbour's house, and left Nanny alone with the corpse to-night. "'My husband's knock!' cried Hester, starting up. "'How is your headache, love?' asked she anxiously, as she met him at the room door. "'Gone, quite gone,' he replied. "'I must step down into the surgery for a minute, about this poor little girl's medicine, and then I have a great deal to tell you.' The sisters sat in perfect silence till his return. "'Matilda?' said Margaret, looking up at her brother. "'She is very ill, and not likely to be better.' "'And poor Mrs. Howell is gone,' said Hester. "'What a sweep it is! Did you hear, love? Mrs. Howell is dead.' "'I hear. It is a terrible destruction that we have witnessed. But I trust it is nearly over. I know of only one or two cases of danger now.' besides this little girl's. Poor Matilda! But we have little thought to spare, even of her to-night. If I did not know that Margaret is ready for whatever may betide, he continued, fixing his benevolent gaze upon her, and if, moreover, I were not afraid that someone would be coming to tell my news if I did not get it out at once, I should hesitate about saying what I have to say. Philip has been explaining. He is coming, said Margaret with such calmness as she could command. Enderby is coming, and someone else whose explanations are more to the purpose has been explaining. Mrs. Rowland, alarmed and shaken by her misery, has been acknowledging the whole series of falsehoods, by which she persuaded, convinced her brother, that you did not love him, that you were, in fact, attached elsewhere. I see how angry you are, Hester. I see you are asking in your own mind how Enderby could be thus deluded, how he could trust his sister rather than Margaret. How can I speak of him as deserving to have her after all this? Your questions are reasonable enough, love, and yet they cannot be answered. Your doubts of Enderby are reasonable enough, and yet I declare to you that he is in my eyes almost, if not quite, blameless. Thank you, brother, said Margaret, looking up with swimming eyes. There is one great point to be settled, resumed Hope, and that is whether you will both be content to bury in silence the subject of this quarrel from this hour, relying on my testimony and Mrs. Rowland's. Oh, Edward, do not put your name and hers together. For Enderby's justification, and for Margaret's sake, my name shall be joined with the Archfiends, if necessary, my love. You must, as I was saying, rely upon the testimony of those who know the whole, that Enderby's conduct throughout has been, if not the very wisest and best, perfectly natural and consistent 
with the love for Margaret which he has cherished to this hour. I knew it, murmured Margaret. He will himself disclose as much as he thinks proper when he comes, but he comes full of fear and doubt about his reception. Margaret hung her head, feeling that it was well she was reminded what reason there was for his coming with gout and trembling in his heart. As he comes full of fear and doubt, resumed Hope, I must tell you first that he never received your last letter, Margaret. He thought you would not answer his. He thought you took him at his word about not attempting explanation. What an unhappy accident, cried Hester. Who carried that letter? How did it happen? It was no accident, my dear. Mrs. Rowland burned that letter. Margaret covered her face with her hands. Then, suddenly looking up, she cried, Did she read it? No, she says she dare not. Why, Margaret, you seem sorry that she did not. You think it would have cleared you? I have no doubt she thought so too, and that was the reason why she averted her eyes from it. Yes, it was a cruel injury, Margaret. Can you forgive it, do you think? Not to-night, said Hester. Do not ask it of her to-night. I believe I may ask it at this very moment. The happy can forgive. Is it not so, Margaret? For myself I could, and I do, brother. I would go now and nurse her child and comfort her. But, but you cannot forgive the wretchedness she has caused to Philip. Well, if you each forgive her for your own part, there is a chance that she may yet lift up her humbled head. What possessed her to hate us so? said Hester. Her hatred to us is the result of long habits of ill-will, of selfish pride, and of low pertinacity about small objects. That is the way in which I account for it all. She disliked you first for your connection with the Greys, and then she disliked me for my connection with you. She nourished up all her personal feelings into an opposition to us and our doings, and when she had done this, and found her only brother going over to the enemy, as she regarded it, her dislike grew into a passion of hatred. Under the influence of this passion, she has been led on to say and do more and more that would suit her purposes, till she has found herself sunk in an abyss of guilt. I really believe she was not fully aware of her situation, till her misery of to-day revealed it to her. Poor thing, said Margaret, is there nothing we can do to help her? We will ask Enderby. I take hers to be no uncommon cause. The dislikes of low and selfish minds generally bear very much the character of hers, though they may not be pampered by circumstances into such a luxuriance as in this case. In a city, Mrs. Rowland might have been an ordinary spiteful fine lady. In such a place as Deerbrook, and with a family of rivals, cousins, incessantly before her eyes, to exercise her passions upon, she has ended in being what she is, said Margaret, as Hope stopped for a word. Margaret is less surprised than you expected, is she not? said Hester. You did not suppose that she would sit and listen as she does to your analysis of Mrs. Rowland. But if the truth were known, she carries a prophecy about her on her finger. I have no doubt she has been expecting this very news ever since she recovered her ring. Yes or no, Margaret? I should rather say she has carried a prophecy in her heart all these long months, said Hope, 
of which that on her finger is only the symbol. However it may be, said Hester, it has prepared a reception for Mr. Renderby. There is no resisting a prophecy. What is written is written. I must hear him, you know, said Margaret, gently. You must, and you must hear him favourably, said her brother. I had forgotten, said Hester, ringing the bell. Morris, a good fire in the breakfast-room, immediately. Within an hour, Philip and Margaret were by that fireside, finally wedded in heart and soul. It was astonishing how little explanation was needed, when Margaret had once been told, in addition to the fact of her letter having been destroyed, that she was declared to have made Mrs. Enderby the depository of her confidence about a prior attachment. There was, however, as much to relate as there was little to explain. How Enderby's heart burned within him when, in sporting with the idea of a prior attachment, it came out what Margaret had felt at the moment of his intrusion upon the conference with Hope, of which he had since, as at the time, been so jealous. The amusement on her own part, and the joy on Hester's, which she was trying to conceal by her downcast looks. How his soul melted within him, when she owned her momentary regret at being saved from under the ice, and the consolation and stimulus she had derived from her brother's expression of affection for her on the spot. How clear, how true a refutation were the revealings of the imputations that had been cast upon her, and how strangely had the facts been distorted by a prejudiced imagination. How sweet in the telling was the story of the ring, so sad in the experience, and the recountings of the times that they had seen each other of late. Philip had caught more glimpses than she. He came down, he dare not say to watch over her in this time of sickness, but because he could not stay away when he heard of the condition of Deerbrook. But for this sickness, would they have met? Should they ever have understood each other again? This was a speculation on which they could not dwell. It led them too near the verge of the grave, which was yawning for Matilda. Mrs. Rowland would have been relieved, but the relief would have been not unmixed with humiliation, if she could have known how easily she was let off in this long conference. Not only can the happy easily forgive, but they are exceedingly apt to forget the causes and the history of their woes, and the wretched lady who, in the midst of her grief and terror for her child, trembled at home at the image of the lovers she had injured, was to those lovers in their happiness, much as if she had never existed. "'Mrs. Howell,' said Margaret, hearing her sister mention their departed neighbour after Philip was gone, "'is it possible that it was this very afternoon that I saw that poor woman die?' "'Even so, dear.' How many days, or months, or years have you lived since? A whole age of bliss, Margaret. Margaret's blush said, Yes. End of chapter 46